it take to launch and run an Amada Senior Care franchise? Find out on another episode of We Are Amada, the show dedicated to the entrepreneurs who decided to take a risk and start a business that matters to them, to their families, and to their communities. I'm Marcus Mora. Welcome to the show. Hey everyone, Marcus here with Amada Senior Care. Thank you so much for joining us for another podcast episode of We Are Amada. Today we have Ryan Hart, our franchise partner in Reno, Nevada. You could say that Ryan is Reno, Nevada Amada. He owns the entire market there. Not only just that he owns the franchise, but he really owns that market. He's local to the uh, Reno market, and he's going to talk to you a little bit more about when he found this opportunity, what it meant to him to be in his hometown. And I think there'd be some things that will really surprise you about Ryan and what he's doing there in Reno. I can tell you right now, if you look at our franchise disclosure document, one thing we disclosed there is that Ryan billed $114,000 in gross billings in March of this year. And Ryan started his franchise in, I believe it was June of 2016. So that is pretty fast. I'm excited to introduce you guys to Ryan Hart. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Marcos. How's it going out there? Going great. Thank you for taking the time. I know you've had a busy day today as every day, right? Indeed. Yeah, it's been uh, been quite the whirlwind lately. Yeah. So I really thank you for taking the time. And for those of you guys who are listening, there's a lot of you who may be in a pharmaceutical job or medical device job. So this will be good for you. Ryan, you spent a large amount of your career at Stryker and other companies like that. Would you give us just a quick introduction on who you are and what were you doing before Amada Senior Care? Yes, absolutely. So most of my life, I've been in sales since I got out of high school and college. And most recently, I had about a 10-year stint in medical device sales where uh, I sold prosthetic knees and hips. I was in the reconstructive business, worked for Zimmer and Stryker, multiple-time President Award Club, and just had a wonderful career with them. How many years were you there for? Yeah, I was with Stryker for about five and Zimmer for about five. So a total of about 10 years. Okay. So you're 10 years in. Can you share just what got you interested in entrepreneurship? Why did you decide it was time? You know, more than anything, I just wanted to be my own boss. I was very sick of going to the operating room, waiting on a case that was supposed to start at seven o'clock at night and being there till midnight, you know, this whole time being away from my family and yeah. and just having to be at other people's mercy, you know, going to coach my kid's soccer team and getting pulled away to go do a hip fracture. It was just, it was getting really tough on the family life. And you know, while, while the money's really good in that, in that industry, it's getting really commoditized. And right. I thought the writing was on the wall. So I chose to get into this and, you know, it wasn't an easy decision. My wife and I made it together and I haven't looked back since. It's just been the best choice I've ever made. That's really cool. And I think most people that hear this podcast, podcast. I don't think anyone has gotten into becoming an entrepreneur where they just woke up one morning and they're like, you know what? I really want to run a business. I find most of the times people have had that feeling, maybe even since college, right? They're like, I really want to be an entrepreneur. Is that true of you or was it later in your career or was it always there kind of nagging at you? No, actually not at all. It was something that I started thinking about is the medical device field started getting harder and harder and contractually we were getting pushed out of the hospitals and stuff. And I just really wanted to get into something where I could control my own schedule, have my own staff and really build it up to a point where I could just sit back and not have to work so hard every day on a, on, on a day-to-day basis. And this really was an opportunity for me to do that. You know, the writing was on the wall, I think, for me as a medical device rep, as I was getting older and as older reps were getting kind of pushed out, yeah. it was harder to make a good living. So so then fast forward to where you found Amada Senior Care. By the way, how did you find Amada Senior Care? Well, Marcos, your guys' LinkedIn ads work wonderfully. Um <laughs> 
Yeah. So I was poking around on LinkedIn, looking for, you know, opportunities, kind of trying to think outside the box a little bit. And when I first saw it, you know, I saw an ad that said life after striker question mark. And then I read kind of Chad and Tafa's bios a little bit and dug a little deeper and then talked to my wife a little bit about it. And she kind of looked at me with a funny face and said, you know, this seems like a get rich quick scheme. Yeah. Which nothing could be further from the truth because it's not a get rich quick scheme. It takes a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but in a good way. So, you know, building it up to the point where we are now in the short time that we have, I couldn't be happier with the choice I made. So you talked to your wife about it and take us back to 2016. Give us your family structure. What do you have? So we have twin daughters that are now eight. So back then there were six. They were just starting uh, first grade. I was working quite a few hours a week uh, doing medical device sales. My wife had a full-time job as a financial planner, and it was difficult to look at going from making a, a really good salary to perhaps making nothing for a couple of years. And so we had a pretty good lifestyle going. We had the fun stuff. We did a lot of camping, boating, and stuff like that. So it was a little difficult to look at not having any income for possibly a year or two. But we looked at each other and we said, you know what? If anybody can do it, I can do it. I've had a long, very successful career in sales. And at the end of the day, that's what this is. It is, right? We found some entrepreneurs that as they talk to the spouse, wife and husbands that have been sort of on the collaborating side, the majority of them, if they became successful, like you are becoming successful, there was a hundred percent buy-in from the spouse way back then. And we've learned, we've learned that if we're not careful, if we have somebody who's sort of that maverick spouse that just says, I'm going to do this. And the spouse is like, dude, I don't think you should. It creates a lot of problems. I think of the one person that you need to have your support when you're doing something as difficult as starting any business. It's got to be it's got to be your spouse, right? Absolutely. And and you know, I was pretty lucky in that regard. My wife still makes pretty good money and she had a, you know, long 20-year career in, in financial advising and financial planning. So, we had that to kind of fall back on, but starting this business, I did not go into it with a partner at all. So, I've I've been on my own right. since day 1, so I've had to kind of figure out how to succeed on my own in a market where there's a lot of competition. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my background. So one thing that I wanted to share with you guys about Ryan, I talked to you guys about his, his billings and how he's doing. It's amazing to see somebody like Ryan do what he's doing in a place like Reno, Nevada. And, and here's what I mean about that. Love Reno. And it's an amazing market and an amazing community. But I think what a lot of people think sometimes is that to, in order to be successful in home care, they have to be somewhere like a Beverly Hills where there's a lot of money or, you know, I don't know, Central Park or Florida where there's a lot of seniors. And I don't remember exactly, Ryan, what the demographics are of Reno, but greater, greater Reno is how many people total? Um, we're approaching 350,000 for our entire area. And keep in mind, much of that is very rural. So we have right. a big geography of 80 to 100 miles of a big circle that, you know, is, there's just not a lot of condensation of demographic for this type of market. I would say we're probably middle of the road for having a big senior community here. We don't have an absolute ton of them, but we're not really small on the demographic either. There is somewhat so, of, a, of a snowbird folks there from maybe Utah and, and other northern states that come and re retire in Reno, right? Yeah, I would say that's accurate. And then a lot of them go snowbird elsewhere too, because we have 
have pretty significant winters here. So, you know, they, they leave when it's cold and come back when it's hot. But the core group of people that we take care of are typically, you know, the long-term care insurance type people or, you know, the fairly more affluent people. And then we've we've gotten into some other arenas as well. But, uh, but yeah, we don't have a big market to go after here. So we've had to learn how to build this organically and learn how to win with what we have in front of us. And, and that's what I think what I wanted to focus on this podcast, guys, is we found with entrepreneurs like Ryan that very rarely is it the territory. And I, maybe some of you guys know this is coming and I can't help it, but you know, leading with heart, here's Ryan Hart. But it does take a lot of heart to do this business. And we're going to talk a little bit about the heart that it takes because there's heart in a lot of different meanings to having a heart and leading with it. But I wanted to set the stage for you guys that, you know, most of our markets are 400,000 population or bigger. So even population wise, this wasn't a market that was in even enough population for a lot of the markets that we build, but it had a good amount of senior population. So talk about your first year and what did it take in that first year? where no one had ever heard of Amada in Reno, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Right. Built from the ground up. From the ground up. So what was that first year like? Well, I consider myself pretty lucky because I did get a pretty quick start. My first month, I had already acquired five or six clients and I was billing a, a pretty good rate the very first month out, which is pretty unheard of in this business. But, you know, we do have a lot of deep community roots here. So the first year, I would say, you know, went up and down. It was difficult, you know, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to find the balance of life because being a business owner is a lot different than most people think. I mean, there's all kinds of different things that people don't think about that you have to worry about. Right. And first and foremost, you have to be an employer. And that's, I think, where a lot of people fall down because, you know, I, I never thought of myself as an employer. I thought of myself as a sales guy that could work for a company for the rest of my life. But then when I changed my tune a little bit and started thinking, I can be an employer, a really good salesperson, and run a really successful business while having a really good employee base and a really good client base and just take care of all of these people the best way I know how, that's when we really turned the corner and really started taking off was when I kind of wrap my arms around that it can all be done. Maybe it can't be done on your own, but you can hire people that are really good at this stuff. So that's what I did. I got a really good crew under me. And that's when we started taking off and started getting into the big numbers. You feel that the path to success there was making sure that you had not just your efforts, but making sure that you had the right team to help you build the business. Absolutely. And, you know, my thing was, if I take really good care of my employees, they're going to take really good care of my clients. Right. So I've always had kind of an employee first type thought process where if we take good care of the caregivers, they're going to take great care of our of our people. And even now, it's still that way. And I'm very involved with them. And I know all their names and all that. But then the other piece of it is, if you're not out there being desperate, and you just are out there not treating it like a business as much as you're treating right. every single one of your clients like they're your own parents, then you're going to succeed. And that's what it really takes is just not worrying about picking up your next case, but worrying about the clients that you have and taking really good care of them. And then you start really picking up steam. So the two things that you just covered, you know, uh, leading with heart as far as your staff, your team and treating them as best as you can. I remember Tafa used to talk about caregivers will stay with you indefinitely if you treat them well. Your clients will all leave someday, right? Your clients, they may pass away. They may go into another type of care, or whatever may happen there, right? But your caregivers and your staff are the ones that are are really going to be with you for a very long time. So that being said, 
Was that intuitive to you? Did you know that that would be the case? You had not been an employer before. How did you dig in and know that that was important? How'd you get to that? Well, you know, once you start and you get 10 or 20 caregivers on staff and then you start building your scheduling staff and all that stuff, really what I did is I asked them, what do you guys like? What do you want to see? I didn't just make the decision for them. And I thought that that was kind of a, a really unique approach to it. And I also didn't try to do everything myself. I, I know what my strengths are and my weaknesses. I hire someone to do that now and, and I delegate to them. And that's one thing you can do when you're an employer. You know, you can work as hard as you want. I mean, the first year I was working probably 60, 80 hours a week, every single right. week, all weekend. Yeah. yeah. And now I don't have to work that hard because I have people that want to work for me and really want to drive toward the number. I compensate all of my internal staff on goals that we hit on a monthly basis. Uh-huh. And so we're all striving towards the same goal. Did you start implementing traction there as well? No, we did not. We have not. Uh, Chad is actually coming out in a couple of weeks to, oh, to no get way. that going. That's yeah. awesome. But it sounds like you are already goal-based with your staff. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And my caregivers too. You know, we've implemented some things attendance-wise that we compensate them and, and reward them on having really good attendance and, you know, just make it so that they really want to do the right thing. Because if you never put it out there, then, you know, they're not going to ask. It's always better to reward people on, on good behavior rather than punish them for bad behavior. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one of the parts that I wanted to touch on is, is your staff. Now, you also talked about something I think is really important that maybe people don't intuitively think about going out there and trying to do the best for the client as opposed to thinking about where's my next case? Where's my next case? Can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. So so I do about 95% of our new client intake still. I go out and meet the clients face-to-face. Up until a, a month or so ago, I was doing most of all of our marketing on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So I'd go up in the field and make sales calls and go meet with my referral sources, go out to lunch. You know, we take them out for happy hours, stuff like that. You are the face of Amada as far as they're concerned, right? They, you are it. I am. Yeah. Yeah. For the um, referral it's, sources. It's been for the referral sources for right. sure. And it's right. been a, up until recently where I just, I don't have time to do it anymore because we're, uh-huh. we're taking on typically six to 10 new clients a week. So I'm, I'm wow. busy out there just doing intakes and trying to have my hand involved in, in running the business and stuff, but I'm still really, really involved on a daily basis. And I'm here right. every single day. People can call on me and they can come to me if they need stuff. So, so yeah, I would say just be really involved and don't, my suggestion is always don't, don't be an absentee owner because that's when people start kind of trying to run your business for you. And that's where, that's where things start falling down a little bit. Yeah, no kidding. You had a lot of strong community roots in the market already. You spent a little bit of time in San Diego, but you grew up in Reno and your parents and your in-laws, are they all there too? Yeah, they are. And actually my, my in-laws, we take care of mom who has late stage Parkinson's disease. So, you know, that was a big plus on my scoreboard too, was having gone through that experience and having to hire another caregiving agency to come in and take care of her before we had this up and running. I'm just kind of learning from their mistakes a little bit and just seeing, wow, they, we can do this a lot better. That was something that my wife and I learned pretty quickly is you can always do better than your competition because <laughs> there's a lot of competition out there and, and a lot of them don't do it very well. So That's right. Yeah. When you started going out, do you feel like your community roots were a big driver to your success? Let me ask you that. Do you feel that it was? It was definitely helpful. There's no doubt about it. I grew up here and played sports here, you know, up until I was 
kind of going through college and then um, broke away and went to San Diego for quite some time. Regardless, you know, for all intents and purposes, I was I was starting fairly fresh in this business while having hospital connections and stuff. They didn't really necessarily parallel with this business, but what I really did was went out and made myself a really big pillar in the community and and made sure that I was at every community event that involved the senior population and made sure that I was involved in the Alzheimer's Association and, and just really put myself out there to be involved in all that stuff. And I think that was a big, big uh, notch on my headboard was being able to do that. Yeah, because you can't rest on, I know everybody, I'm local, the business is going to come, right? It may have helped you get started, but in no way is that going to make up for the amount of work you actually have to do. No, it definitely yeah. doesn't hurt. Sure. It's not going to make your business. I mean, I spent countless dollars, countless time being out in the community and being involved with community events and whatnot. So when you're talking about your clients, the other part I think that you identified is so important to to service them. When you start the business, you have this idea of, man, am I ever going to find any clients? Talk about what led you to be able to get these six referrals a week. What did you have to do with these referral sources to get them to trust you and start referring you that business? You know, I think for me, it was um, it was being on call basically 24-7, always picking up the phone and always getting right back to people and saying, you know what? I'm not sure that I can staff that right now, but if I can't, I'm going to refer you to someone who can. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, you know, being too hungry for the business. And that's one thing that I always try to tell new franchisees when they're thinking about getting started or right after they get started, they'll call me and say, you know, hey, what can I do differently? And I always tell them, don't be too desperate. You know, you have to be hungry and you have to be out there putting yourself out there. But if you're out there being desperate in front of referral sources, they're going to see through that and they're not going to like that. They're not going to refer you business. But if they trust you, and they know they can call you seven days a week and you're going to be there within 25 minutes to do an intake on a new client, then guess who's going to get the next call every single time. And so I did that for the first year and a half. I mean, now I don't, I don't have to do that anymore because I have someone that's on call all weekend. Uh-huh. But up until about six months ago, I was, I was the guy. I was the one that everybody called. So you, you just have to be that guy. You have to be that person that everybody knows and trusts and knows that they're going to take care of things when they call you. Because that, that one phone call, regardless of if you can staff it, regardless of what's going on in your life, when you become that trusted resource, they're going to dial your number. Because anytime they dial any other number, it's some other craziness. Right? Yeah, voice, exactly. Voicemail. But you're actually yep. picking up the phone day or night. It's so interesting how so much of this business is related to your, the relationship you have with the referral sources first and then to the uh, clients. We talk about this a lot in people going through this process of learning about Amada and how it works. How much of your business comes from your referral sources and how much comes from online or, I don't know, other efforts? Well, up until about a month ago when we got some contracts with some hospitals for staffing, I would say 95% of our business was strictly referral source. Mm-hmm. It was just referrals from skilled nursing facilities, from you know independent living communities. I mean, we get stuff from attorneys. We get stuff from, gosh, I get stuff from dentists sometimes. You know, it, it can yeah. come from anywhere. Right. And so my theory is, you know, every single person that you touch in the community is a referral source. Right. And I've, I've said that since day one, and I've always made myself you know, whenever I'm out and about with my kids, you know, out at an event, you know, if it's for them, all people come up and talk to me and, you know, I treat them just like they're a referral source. And that's how I am naturally. But if you're not like that naturally, 
then you have to make yourself that way, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's very difficult. If you don't enjoy being the face of Amada, you don't enjoy everywhere you are, not not like uh, being annoying about it, right? But everywhere you are, that person could become a referral source. And if you don't enjoy that feeling, I think this would be the wrong business. Yeah, I think so too. And, and then just really enjoying being with people and, you know, meeting the seniors and talking about their history and, you know, where they've been in life and especially veterans and, you know, where they were at war and stuff like that. That's just, that that all means so much to them because they, they want to talk about that stuff. And, you know, you, me as the owner of the company sitting in front of them and just telling them, you know, I can have someone here tonight. I have 120 caregivers on staff. Yeah. Um, it, it just eases their mind. It just makes them feel so much better that, that you're going to take care of things as the owner of the company. So I mentioned in the beginning of the call that in March of 2018, which was not even uh, a year and a half, I think that you'd have been open, uh, you you build $114,000 gross for that month. That was in March. What what does the future hold for Reinhardt and Ahmad in Reno? So we're hoping to be in the $3 million club by the end of the year, which is going to be an pretty unheard of accomplishment from what I understand on the history of the franchise system. And that'll be at the end of year two for my business. And then my five-year plan is to be in the top, you know, one or two in the whole system. And then in 10 years, you know, who knows, I might pass it off to my kids. Yeah. I might keep it. I might sell it. It, yeah. it, it kind of depends. I'm a, I'm a fairly young guy. I just turned 40 years old, so I don't need to retire next week. And, you know, I have some time and some longevity. But bottom line is, is, you know, I'd like to build it up to a point where I don't have to be here every day. I can be out doing the stuff that I love with my family. I can be on vacation and having the staff here that just can run the whole business for me and, and just, you know, let me know when there's major things that I need to get involved with. But you can build it up to that point pretty quick. And I know a lot of guys that are there already throughout the franchise system. I love it. Well, Ryan, listen, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Just give your best advice for those listening, you were in their shoes only not even two years ago. So if you could give them advice that, that would be valuable to them and their situation, what would it be? If you're going to do it, go all in. Don't try to dilly-dally around with having a couple different other jobs. Um, you have to go all in. You have to put your heart and soul into this. Mm -hmm. And you will reap the rewards sooner than later if you just do the right thing and you're not desperate out there in your first year. If you just go out and put your heart and soul into this, you will succeed. I love it. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Yeah, I can't my thank pleasure. You my pleasure. To learn more about launching your Amada Senior Care business, go to amadapodcast.com. Again, amadapodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, Marcus here with some uh, legal mumbo jumbo for you. So this podcast is not an offer to sell a franchise. The offer of a franchise can only be made through delivery of a franchise disclosure document. And certain states require that we register our franchise disclosure document in those states before offering a franchise there. So this communication is not directed to any residents of those states. Now, for any more information on this, please go to amadaseniorcarefranchise.com slash important dash note. Again, that's amadaseniorcarefranchise.com slash important dash note. Also, any financial representations that you hear on this podcast or in any of our materials, please go verify them in our franchise disclosure document under item 19, financial representations.